And my first game, I remember I stayed at half court. My hair was down. I had the frilly socks. And I was just like this at half court, like watching the game happen. <laughs> and I was like, I'm that bitch. I'm kidding. <laughs> like, I am her. Like, I am going to be her. I want to kill everybody that's in front of me. And I want to make it happen. When I got injured, I think um, tearing my ACL has been the biggest blessing in my life because it brought me. Welcome to the Outliers Podcast, where we dissect the paths of the 1%. Professional does not mean perfect. In this episode, we get to talk to Sydney Weiss and her journey breaking records at Oregon State, been being drafted 11th overall in the 2017 WNBA draft, and how she continues to separate herself. Please enjoy a couple nuggets from our conversation with Sydney. So now let's go into our two-minute drill. Okay. So rapid fire, elevator speech, presentation, pitch-esque of a quick snapshot of your career. My career? Your My life? Two minutes on the clock. Time two me. Two minutes. Two, <laughs> two minutes. <laughs> okay. Ready? Three, two, one. Okay. I was born and raised in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, I was born into a family who loved sports, specifically basketball. Um, my mom worked at our church growing up. My mom and my grandma worked at our church growing up. Our dad, I have an older brother. Our dad was a high school basketball coach. So after school, we would either go to church, hang out with mom and grandma, or we'd go to the gym. Um, and so I was born into that foundation for both of those. And I fell in love with basketball, um, started playing when I was like six, Wanted to take it more seriously when I was like in fifth grade. Um, just started to play more competitively. Um, decided and had a clear vision that I wanted to be, um, I wanted to make varsity as a freshman, wanted to play in college, wanted to play professionally. Had no idea what that was going to look like, but that's what I wanted with basketball when I was probably in like sixth, seventh grade. Um, was able to accomplish the playing varsity all four years playing in college at all four high years school? pinnacle high school went to oregon state for college um and then got drafted in 2017 to the los angeles sparks played there for four seasons got traded to dc um in 2021 to play for the mystics for a season um and then in march of 2022 tore my acl and have been rehabbing and training ever since and that leads me to here with you guys. Fuck, that was a minute and 32 seconds. Nice internal clock. Go back to early life, right? Mm -hmm. Early athletics. When was the first glimpse of, like, I'm pretty damn good? I think, um, so I played against boys for the first probably four years that I played. Um, there weren't a lot of like you couldn't really rally a girls team and we were like six, seven years old. Um, and my first game, I remember I stayed at half court, my hair was down. I had the frilly socks 
And I was just like this at half court, like watching the game happen. <laughs> and I was like, I'm that bitch. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, I think once I started to the practices against the boys, like I started to really enjoy it and I started to enjoy competing more. Like I couldn't put words to it back then when I was a kid, but like I, I loved, I started to love it. And then when I started to play against girls in like fifth and sixth grade, um, and it was more competitive, the practices got a little bit more intense, like for a fifth and sixth grader, um, that going against girls, that's when I was like, I could be, I could be pretty good. And then I think in like sixth, seventh grade, that's when the vision came to me of, I want to pursue this with like each level, high school, college, pro. Um, and so I think sixth grade, when I was a kid, I was arrogant. Like, I think in sixth, seventh grade, I became, I literally became like, I am her. Like, I am going to be her. I want to kill everybody that's in front of me. And I want to make it happen. Like, <laughs> when I was... I would, my dad was a high school coach and I would ride the bus with them to games and I would keep score. Like I'd be at the end of the bench doing the scorekeeping. And in my mind, I'm like, I can't wait to be out there. But like, this is, this is how I can be part of the team. And I was a seventh grader and there was a girl on varsity who would be a senior when I became a freshman. And she was talking to me and saying something. And for whatever reason, like I told her to her face, I was like, yeah, well, when I'm a freshman, I'm going to come in and take your number. Ooh. How did she respond? She stopped talking. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I didn't think twice about it. Like I meant it. Did you come in and take her number? I did. Ooh, but I think she stopped playing. Like, she, so, so technically, like, technically I, you're you right. got her to stop playing. <laughs> that wasn't the moment she stopped playing. But like, that's how I operated back then. Like my mind was like, I don't know what that killer instinct was, but it didn't take much for it to come out of me. Like I just believed in myself because I, I wanted those things so badly. And I think that started in like sixth and seventh grade. It had already happened. You were just waiting for the calendar date to roll around right? Yeah. when you got to be that age of high school. Yeah. And the work that went in, like I, I remember being really stressed about like waking up every day and thinking it's stressful when you're a kid. Cause you, you look at like, we were fortunate to grow up in Phoenix where like, you can see the mercury. I could watch the mercury every summer and I had a blueprint of like, I want to be like Diana Taurasi. And so watching her every summer, it made me feel like, wow, I have a lot of work to do. And so every day, how do you break that down when you're a kid? But my mindset was, and our dad raised us, you're going to outwork everybody. And I would run every morning before school. I would shoot as often as I could. I would run again in the evenings. I was operating and working at an insane level of intensity that, I mean, looking back, I'm amazed and proud of, but I, I don't think I could do that now. But I think that's what I had to do in order to, be, to become what I wanted. Um, so it was definitely unsustainable. It wasn't balanced, but that's how bad I wanted it. If you could take one of those days, right, where you're running in the morning, shooting, running, like, what, what's like a snapshot of one of those days? So because we live in Phoenix, before school would be the coolest part of the day. And mm -hmm. so my parents would always, they still, to this day, work out before their work days um, and before it gets super hot. So I would see my dad and my mom up before the sun. And so I was like, I want to do that, too. 
I don't, but like, it seems like this is the right thing to do. (laughs) And so I would get up probably around like five, go for a two mile run, go to school. Um, and then try and find either a gym if it was in middle school, um, stay afterwards and shoot. If we had, like if I had PE class, I would try and find a ball and always like either dribble or shoot. Um, after school, I was also one of those crazy kids too, that like, it didn't matter how hot it was. Like if I needed, felt like I needed to run again, I would go and run another two miles. Um, if we had practice, I would, we would practice and then I would either get there early and shoot or I'd stay after and shoot until I couldn't anymore. Wow. How much of that was, you know, you obviously saying that your parents were the role model for that, you know, waking up before everybody and, and still doing it to this day. How much of that uh, sticks with you now? Yeah, I think it's become <clears throat> a little bit more balanced, like trying. I've learned a lot as I've gotten older to listen to my body. Um, I think when you're younger, like I said, there's so much you want to get better at. And like I could see for myself, like I would watch a game and then at halftime I would go and practice moves that I saw in the driveway because I'm like, that's what I want to include in my game. And there's, I think now that I'm older, there's more efficiency to how I work. It's outworking, but in a smarter way where it's not going to take up like all day. Mm -hmm. Um, When I'm working, it's intense and it's at a level of every rep matters and I want to improve and make the most of this time. Uh, But being more realistic of the work's been put in, like that foundation has been laid and now it's the nuances of you get, we each get 24 hours. How are we going to fill them? And so maximizing the time that I am working physically and then also incorporating the full component of like being a human, the mental and emotional spiritual work that also goes into and bleeds into performance eventually. So I definitely shout out to my younger self. I do not work like that now. Well, I don't think, I think that's one of the hardest transitions for athletes as they progress, right? Because the early stages is just almost more is better, right? Because you're just trying to figure it out, work out the kinks. As the accumulated stress over the years builds up, sometimes more is just more, it's not better. So, you know, going from, high school, college, where you're just going to work your ass off day in, day out, because the whole team is, the coach has the expectations for that. It's a way of accountability, I think, for the coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, but how do you find that balance then once you become a pro of, okay, I got it, I got the work in I needed to, it's okay to stop now. Yeah. And then use that time to rest, rest your mind, rest your body. Yeah. But finding out, it's like dialing in, like, what diet works for you pre-game, pre-practice. Can you, you know, what are you going to eat before morning practice? What are you going to eat after? But that's all part of the process of trying to figure it out. But it doesn't just happen overnight. It's it's a long, it's a longer process, I think, than most yeah. athletes realize. But how, do, how can they realize it if they haven't worked it mm-hmm. yet, you know? I think the word, like, when you're a kid, you don't think of the word longevity. Like, I... I had in my mind high school, college, pro. And then once I became a pro, I was like, okay, I'm here. Now what am I going to do with this? And I hadn't thought that far ahead. And so going from that high school and college setting where you're basically like you have a blueprint, you have a structure as a group, like you have study hall, you have weights, you have a weight program as a group, and it might be specified a little bit individually, but there's a blueprint for your group. 
and then practices. And so from each level, I, I would always find windows to do more by myself, whatever I felt I needed. Um, and then getting to the pros, you reach that point of like, this is what I do. This is it. So how am I going to fill that extra time now? I can't just nap all the time. I don't want to, I, I don't want to go to the gym. I don't want to go for a run because my body is getting older and I want it to last. I don't know how long my career is going to be, but you adjust. I had to figure out how to adjust what, how I work and how I approach the weeks and the days and what that looks like. Um, and redefining hard work. Cause I think when, like you said, when you're a kid, it's like more, mm-hmm. more hours, more reps. And then you get to a point where like more is just more. Mm-hmm. How can I work better and what works for my body? What, what's smart, what's efficient and gets the job done and trusting that it's going to lead to a longer career physically. Underappreciated word, efficient. Efficient. So what, to dissect that a little bit more and going off with, you know, Chip was saying, <clears throat> you know, more work being more work at a certain point, right? And you kind of touched on it, you know, when we went to college, right? Was that about the time where you realized, like, hey, I have a little bit more control of my schedule? When was that exact date where you were like, wow, I need to stop doing more work <laughs> And do more efficient work. Yeah, I think I was very fortunate to get drafted to a Los Angeles team that they had just won the championship the year before um, and had Hall of Famers on the roster, uh, vets who have been professionals and have figured out their routine as individuals and their consistency and how they show up, what works for them. And so um, Elena Beard, I think she was either in year 13 or 14 when I was coming in to the league. And when I got got drafted she was one of the first people to text me and like went out of her way to connect with me and I call her mom like my mom even refers to her as like my second mom um, because she she took me under her wing and she explained to me there was one time I think I was coming back I had tweaked my meniscus and so my mindset at the time was I want to I want to heal as quickly as possible and do the most to heal faster and I was gonna go we were on a road trip and she saw me leaving my hotel room to go. And she's like, where are you going? And I was like, I'm going to go to the weight room. And she said, no, go back in your room. You're not going to do it all today. And so she started to plant those seeds, I think, in my second year as a pro, that this is not going to happen overnight. Um, it took me 15, 16 years to become a professional. And obviously, the bulk of that was full of work and laying the foundation and reps because I needed to. Like there's so many things you haven't, your body hasn't done yet that you're, you're building muscle memory. But then when I became a professional and was trying to define what does this look like for me on the day to day, there were people who spoke that over my life because of their experience. And I could see the fruit of that in their careers and the work that they put in of figuring out what works for them as a person, as an athlete, and just realizing like doing being an athlete for your job is a lot, it's different. Like it's, that's your work and it takes up this part of your life, but then you have so much more time to fill. And she eased that, that feeling in my mind of like, I gotta, I gotta work. I gotta outwork. If I'm not doing it, somebody else's like that fear based Mm -hmm. approach of if I'm not somebody else's and I'm falling behind. 
And so being secure enough in the work that I do put in and the hours that I do put in and then knowing the rest that I'm also incorporating is only benefiting me. What are you currently learning about yourself? Um, well, the first thought that comes to mind is uh, nutrition. I've, I'm 28 and I feel like nutrition, I'm a little late to the game, especially since I've been um, an athlete for most of my life. But recently I started seeing a food psychologist to help me with different nutritional patterns and habits and breaking different things that um, stem back to like when I was playing when I was younger um, I had a club coach and a high school coach who it was like very physically taxing practices like we would have four-hour practices with no water breaks and maybe like an orange slice break midway through and so I became I, I think the mindset that I took on was I want to prove that I don't need food I don't need sleep to perform to live at a high level which is not right. It's toxic. That's not good. But that's what I've carried on through throughout most of my career of my body just got into a habit of I don't need to eat. And I know that I, I do need to eat. And so it became a burden and stressful to to enjoy eating and to fuel my body properly. And so I finally reached that point a couple months ago of like, I need to talk to somebody about this because I don't I don't want to live this way anymore. I don't want my relationship with food to be negative because I can tell when I do eat right I feel better as a person not just like as an athlete um but as I continue to get back into playing and then I think from like a life and a living standpoint like I just wanted to work on my nutrition and just making sure that I'm fueling my body the right way so that's been something that I've been really focused on the last couple of weeks what are some of like the you no know, real tangible practices that you've been working on to kind of aid that? I Well, first of all, eating, eating more. I, I got to a point where I wasn't eating. Um, I think it was good if I had two meals a day. Like I would fill it with snacks or I'd fill it with like a protein shake, like after a workout, whatever. But like there'd be some days where I would come to work out here and have not eaten anything before it and then would maybe eat at like 2, 3 p.m. Like that'd be my first meal of the day after doing two, three hours of a workout, whatever it is. Um, and so my first piece of homework was to eat and to just eat more consistently and to make that part of my routine. And that's been great. Like, I feel like I've, I've made time for it now, like in the mornings and I've been able to feel like more energy during workouts. And it's also helped me sleep better, um, because my body is properly nourished. And so it's able to just rest because it doesn't have to fight for any type of nourishment. And so it's all connected. I've, I've known that, but like learning it and feeling it. Um, and I think because it's all connected to like doing, reading different pieces of literature, um, that allow me to look back into why has my relationship with food turned into this and taking time to take notes and look into, who I am and what's led me to this point, um, from a basketball standpoint, from a personal standpoint. So just taking more time, um, to look at and analyze and reflect on what's gotten me here. And that takes time and energy and emotions. And it brings certain things back up that I thought were good, but are connected to, oh, wow. Like this does influence my approach to my work, my approach to, 
um, sleeping, not sleeping, like my choices that I make on the day to day. And so I think it's just a, a deeper dive into me and my, my history. What, what piece of literature was it? It's a book called Facing Codependence. And then there's another book that I just started that is The Body Keeps the Score. I think it's called that, something like that. And so it's, um, honestly, when I started seeing this food psychologist, I thought I was just going to be like, let's talk about food. And then it turned into, let's talk about you and your past and everything, because it's, it's all works together. Um, and so she recommended that book, Facing Codependency, um, that really focuses on um, childhood and the importance of the adults in your life, the caretakers. And then obviously as you become an adult, uh, being able to look back at different things that you were immersed in that as a kid, you don't really have a choice. Uh, it's just your environment and being able to recognize and see different things. So you can approach yourself differently and heal certain components that you might not have gotten. It's, I mean, you guys are parents. It's hard to be a parent. There's no perfect parent. There's no perfect village of adults that you're surrounded by. And so being able to take ownership as an adult now of what are my patterns that have stemmed from my foundation as a kid that are still being felt today that I want to improve. And then the body keeps the score has been interesting so far because I think I've reached a point as a person where I understand and have peace with a lot of stuff that has led me to this point as a person, but my body is feeling things that I haven't either had the space or the energy to. And so since I'm eating more, my body has more energy and it has more space and capacity to feel certain things. Um, and so learning about that has been really cool as well. I've taken a lot of naps because it's been, <laughs> Love naps. it's been a lot. Yes, but great. It took me a long time to embrace my weaknesses. I felt ashamed of my weaknesses or different things that like as an athlete, a lot of times I feel like we just have to, you get it done. Like you, you win, or you die trying. Like that's the approach that I feel like as athletes we take on. You don't listen to your body. You fight through whatever you're feeling. If you're tired, you push through. Um, and there are certain moments like as an athlete where you do have to fight and like it's a bat battle of wills. Like that's what we do as, as competitors. But there's also a balance of I need help. I need help to um, – like I'm not an expert when it comes to strength training. I'm not an expert when it comes to all things basketball. I'm not an expert when it comes to nutrition, to sleep, to um, diving into um, who I am as a person. And that's when experts and people who care about me have come in and I've been able to humble myself. Either I have or life has forced me to where I've just come to a point of I need help. Like I can't do this by myself. I love basketball because it's a team sport, but like as I think outside of that team sport dynamic, like as a person, who's my team and who can I surround myself with that can help me develop and take care of myself as a person so it's not just me in the trenches. That's what gets all of us to where we need to go because you reach a point, you know you can't do it by yourself. And yep. so it's like, okay, I forget wh where I heard the quote, but it was um, needing people isn't a weakness, it's a strength. And then being comfortable with that, knowing that it is okay. And you've surrounded yourself with the trusted people that when you say it, they know that you're being serious about it and work together to fix whatever it is. Yeah. Or improve whatever it is, not fix. Yeah. It makes you feel less alone. And like it, it also like when you say it out loud, it becomes real and it's, it's scary. 
But I think when you say it to people that you trust and who care about you, it also takes the weight away, like that you've been trying to, because everything comes to the light. Like there's only, you can only keep things in the dark for so long. And I know I've tried for a a long time, like this, it's fine. It's fine. I'm going to play basketball. I'm going to get away from whatever this is and just like express myself through the canvas of playing the sport. And then it comes to the light and having people around me to help me shoulder that load or to even figure out what to do with it has helped and like led me to still be around and playing. And that's what I'm grateful for. Cause I don't think like I would not have been able to take on a rehab process or the bulk of this, this whole journey as a competitor, as an athlete by myself, like I'm here still because of the people who would speak life over me in my darkest moments of like, I don't think I can do this. Trusting people. Trust the Trust. right people. Trust, yeah. Yep. Big Community. Word. Community. What was that one key moment for you? Like, when did it really hit you that I can accept my community? When I got hurt, when I got injured. I think um, tearing my ACL has been the biggest blessing in my life because it brought me like without it. So the the reality of a lot of WNBA players is you play during the summer and you go overseas right after that. So you're just going from season to season and you don't really have consistent community around you. And it's, it's a gift to do that. Like, I mean, you can only play for so long, so why not maximize it, see the world, meet new people, be immersed in different cultures, but your life is, you're on the hamster wheel. You don't stop. And I wasn't going to, like my body had to stop me in order to surround me and put me in a place where I can really heal myself. Cause obviously like physically you can't move, you can't escape cause you can't physically do that. Um, I think like when I was a kid, I ran so much because that was my outlet. I didn't have words for it at the time, but like I would, I, I would run and it would be productive and considered productive towards what I wanted as an athlete. But it's also cause I didn't have tools Um, I didn't know what to do with different emotions or different things that I was struggling with as a person, as a kid. Um, so I would run. And so then when I got hurt, I couldn't run anymore. So I had to really face a lot of stuff and a lot of things came to the surface that I was like, I don't know what to do with this. This is a lot. This is a lot. And finding a group of people and being led to you guys and, um, my PTs. And I think also just being home in Phoenix is the longest that I've been home since I left for college. And a lot of times when you're coming home from a season, you have three weeks, maybe, maybe less. And you don't get to do the mundane with people. You don't get, you don't have time to actually like sit and live life with family, um, which includes the good, the bad, the ugly, everything. Um, you're just there catching up about the last six months of their life and your life. And you don't really like know them. They don't know you. Um, and so tearing my ACL gave me the opportunity to sit my ass down, um, look at myself and be present with people and allow them to be present with me. I think a lot of times I would come home and I didn't, I'd catch up with people, but it would be very selective of what I shared because I didn't want to fill the, the the small amount of time that I had with my people, with my struggles. I didn't want to occupy that space with that. Um, so this was like my family and my, my community that has been given to me can sit with me in my struggle because I can't hide from it. And I couldn't like, there'd be some days where I'd come in here and I'd 
Chip would see me cry. Like I just bust into tears because it became too much to try and withhold and suppress in myself. And it's a gift to have safe people and safe places to do that because it only makes you, I mean, if you want to talk from an athlete standpoint, it only makes you better as a competitor to get the emotions, like to process those emotions and to be honest with this is hard. This is hard. I'm scared. I don't know if I can do this. And releasing that to, to safe people, to trusted people, um, and being able to show up as you are every day. And even if that means like I get home and I'm like, mom, dad, I don't want to talk to you today. I can't. I don't have the energy. It's been a long day. Um, and for them to allow me and to give me that space to show up as I am, both here and at home and with my family, like that's been such a gift this last year of having that. I don't think I've ever had that even like when I was a kid because it was always like basketball. Like let's, what's, what's going to happen here? And I get home from college and we're talking about what happened during the season. And, and this is like, we don't have that anymore. Mm-hmm. This is Sydney. Please see me. See Sid. See Sid. Your identity. So what would you, like a high school uh, female basketball player is listening to this right now, and she's in the same shoes as you back in the day, what would your recommendation be? Just like see the people that love you around you maybe early on? Because it's like if I'm in high school now and I'm hearing this, I'm like, yeah, that's what I do. What else can I do yeah. instead of that, right? And is it, is it just respecting the people around you that love you? Or is it finding a hobby? Or Yeah, I think um, it's, it's interesting because, like, I don't know, when I was a kid, I'd, I don't know if introvert and extrovert was, like, a big thing when I was growing up yet. Um, but I, I'm an introvert, and learning that in college, I wish that I would have known that when I was in high school. Because as an athlete, sometimes you're, you have to be an extrovert. Some, like you're brought into a team environment where you have to pour yourself out. And that's when you're between the lines, right? Yeah. And, and you show it's, you're performing, like you're a performer in a lot of ways. And so I think knowing who you are separate from what the sport requires of you allows your energy to be dispersed accordingly. So figuring out like what brings me joy, what helps me rest, um, what, what work do I want to put in to still separate myself, but also make sure that I'm taking care of myself. And I know like I'm, because I had that vision of, I'm probably not going to stay in state for school. And my grandparents are like my favorite people in the world. I wanted to maximize my time with them. And I'm still doing that now. I'm grateful for that. Like that's been one of my favorite parts of this journey is like weekly dinner with grandparents playing cards with them. And so when I was in high school, like my grandma would pick me up from school sometimes and she would just listen to me and I would listen to her and take in those car rides, take in being with them after school, just taking a break from like what my life was and reminding myself like life is bigger than the, the battles that I'm facing right now and I'm not alone in that. So being with my family, um, allowing myself to take time to have a night with friends, going to the movies, being a high school student, Um, we, one time, one year we skipped homecoming and we went to a Mercury game in our homecoming dresses. And we we just like, we did stupid things like that where like, it gave me breath, like Mm -hmm. to take a moment. And I know there's sacrifices you have to make in order to get to where you want to go. But like, there's also so much goodness in like allowing yourself to be a kid because you are, 
And so you have high standards, but you're also like, I'm still a granddaughter first. I'm a daughter first. I'm a sister first. And I'm a friend. And those, those moments are so fleeting because when you're on a path to get to where, where you want to go, you're probably going to get it. And you want to look back and be like, wow, but I also enjoyed the moments that I had off that I allowed myself to be off so I could get there and not burn out once I make it there. Cause you can't immerse, you can't just be engulfed in this cause it's gonna, it's gonna drown you. Like you want to have things that really make you feel alive. That's separate from your sport. Plus you'll have people to enjoy it with. Yeah. You can once, to enjoy it. You, to You get there, you keep progressing. It's, it's, it's nice to be able to, not brag about yourself, but share it with people that yeah. you know have pure joy. Yep. Who want to celebrate it and struggle with you. Mm. Like they, you can celebrate it and they're like, I went to a Mercury game in my homecoming dress with that person. And she's an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I know who she is. And that's like some of my best relationships and my favorite relationships are like my friends who don't ask about basketball. Like, they, of course, they want to make sure I'm okay. But they, it's like more so like, talking about so many other things but and because they they know like basketball has become such a small part of my focus um but obviously in high school that was everything but the moments that I allowed myself to be with my friends it was just being a kid and it was the best what routines or habits have you implemented in the last six to 12 months that have most contributed to your athletic performance I started this year on a 40-day social media fast where I did not go on Instagram I did not go on Twitter Facebook whatever it was I did use Snapchat I love Snapchat but snap it, it up snap it up um, but I think that helped set the tone of how am I spending my downtime and I could tell from that for 40 days away from connection, um, who I wanted to communicate with more consistently, who I wanted to share my life with if they weren't here in person, stay in touch with. Um, and what was beneficial for me when it comes to resting? Cause I know like after a lot of times after a long day, like you'll just come home on the couch, scroll mm. and it's rest like, Oh, it's mindless and it's rest. But that became like, I could feel the difference from having it totally gone and then implementing it back a little less dramatically to, wow, I would rather, I'm done scrolling. I want to read. Or I just want to close my eyes for 20 minutes and just rest and not, and really disconnect. So I think that um, I learned through that how easy it is to just like scroll and feel like, oh, I'm, I'm resting. And now I'm, I'm more mindful of, I can tell myself, get off your phone, put it down, set it to the side. Um, you're not missing anything. There's so many other things. Like I'm a limited person, limited energy and attention. I want to dictate and choose what I pour that into and what I focus on. And that's helped me sleep better. Um, I can tell when I'm on it too much because I start having a lot of dreams when I sleep and it's not restful because um, I'm overstimulated. Um, and so I think that and then starting my morning off um, quietly and not look, I, I usually don't look at my phone or go on social media until like the afternoon. Mm -hmm. um, and so I usually start the morning off reading a devotional, 
praying, um, going for a walk by myself and just really taking my time to like the tone that I want to set for my days is generally from a place of peace and stillness. And then obviously like when you got to turn it on, if you have a workout, if you have a game, if you have whatever it is, like you turn that on, but I want to, I want to operate from a place of true rest. And so taking my time in the morning, um, has made a huge difference too. And listening to the right music, um, I'm a pretty boring person, honestly. Like I, I prefer like instrumentals <laughs> instead of like any type of music. So I feel like that helps me keep that equilibrium of peace. Um, and so I think really changing how often I'm on my phone, what I pay attention to, um, and making sure that my mornings give me that time of solitude and stillness. And that that's helped a lot of my days feel fulfilling and at a slower pace. It's your version of meditation. I'm grateful that I'm 28 and not a teenager immersed in this social media age because I think it's really hard um, to step away from that when it has become like ingrained in a part of so many things, especially as athletes, highlight reels, feeling like you have to keep up with that culture. Um, but I think there's so much joy outside of that that's real. And I know social media can be used for a lot of good ways and to connect legitimately um, to people that you normally wouldn't have the opportunity to. Um, but I think it's, it's taught me the balance of, I would rather cultivate real life and be more in control over how I use that social media to connect with people. Um, but my, my life has become enriched by taking a step away from being behind the screen. And I think because I am home, and it's not going to last forever, like being with my grandparents, being with my my parents, my brother and his wife who are expecting their first child and sitting in those moments and being more comfortable. I think it's so easy to like the conversation dies down. You pull out your phone and you want to scroll and you don't we aren't comfortable and just like soaking in a moment and being still. And that's helped with that. What was the you know, transition back into it. And also, how did you view it after 40 days off? Mm. Did you view it differently? Yeah, I didn't miss it. Even when the 40 days was up, I was like, I don't feel pressed to get back on, like, right now. I think I was more overwhelmed than anything of, like, am I ready? Because I know the power of it. Like, you get wrapped into it, and you could, like, you look at the time, it was 2, and now it's 2.45. I think it's also just made my connections with people deeper, mm -hmm. because they aren't seeing anything from me. Like, I really haven't <clears throat> posted that much since being, since I started in January with that 40-day fast. Um, and so if people, people have to text me or call me in order to know what's going on in my life. And I like the idea of I care about people and I want to be intentional with, hey, you crossed my mind. I'm going to text you. Can we call? Can we get on a call? Are you in town? Do you want to get coffee? Like during the summer season with WNBA, I have friends who are on different teams. And so I look at the schedule to see when they're going to be in town to connect with them. Because obviously we also control what we post. And so we might consider that like, oh, did you see what's going on in so-and-so's life? And I love the idea of like, yeah, that's a component of it. Um, but I actually talked to them and was able to see them and listen to them and they listened to me. So I think social media, like I said, a lot of great components, but it does not substitute or take the place of real face to face 
communication and connection that I think it's just helped me value more being off of it more frequently. Fuck COVID. What'd you say? So it was COVID. Who's COVID? Is that, uh, that, one, that one thing? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, 2020. God, let's forget about that. Okay, so you mentioned Elena Beard. Yes. Um, do you have any other mentors? Yes. So to continue a little bit more about Elena, I think watching her firsthand how she showed up every day to work, like, that was amazing for me as a professional and as a person. Um, she had had 10 plus years under her belt and even like hearing her stories from when she was in college, she was just built different, like how she approached life. Um, I'm a very fluid person. Like I just go with the flow. She's like, (laughs) she has a vision and sticks to that and is like, She's so balanced in her approach of like, I know exactly what I want to get done today. Life happens, but like, I'm going to get my stuff done. And so that helped balance out my like, let's see what takes place today and figure out what works for me as a professional and what helps me find balance. What do I need to feel ready when my name gets called as a basketball player? How can I be the best teammate by preparing myself as a competitor? So her, that example helped me a lot. Um, I also feel like a mentor for me spiritually has been my pastor, Pastor Matt, shout out to Pastor Matt. Um, he was in charge of our youth, like our youth confirmation group in middle school. And then whenever I would take time off or like have an open evening to go to youth group, he would be there. Um, when I left to go to Oregon state, he would always end up texting me or calling me at like the right time without even knowing like what was going on. He would just call and, or he would send texts for, um, encouragement that he didn't know that I needed, but it was always right on time. And so whenever I would come home from a season from college, from overseas, I would always make sure to get lunch with him and just talk through, what I was going through as a person that I might not be able to, or I didn't feel comfortable sharing with a lot of people. And he would walk with me in that and check in on me with that. Um, And just his his example of leadership, it's hard to be a pastor because you're still a person. Um, And to be in that role, head of the church, leading a church, leading people, but still going through your own stuff. I feel like he was a really good example of how to do that imperfectly and honestly. And he gave me a lot of encouragement and motivation as a leader and as an athlete of, I'm not going to do this well all the time, but it's okay to be honest in that. And I, he was a safe, he's always been a safe person that I can go to for spiritual direction or just as like a person trying to figure out how to lead a team or show up in the right way, whatever your role is. So those two have been instrumental in professional sense, personal sense, um, and they, there's so many people I could, I could list, but those two come to mind right now. What an incredible commitment, though. The leader of a church, right? How many people is he touching? And to know, just have that sense of when to reach out yeah. to people. Imagine how many people he reaches out to. Yeah. I and mean, that's a, that's a major commitment to other people. Yeah. And he... Like each time that I would text him like, hey, I'm going to be in town for two weeks. I know you're busy. There's a lot going on, especially like when COVID was at its height. Like 
there was a lot that he was navigating and I'll, I'll never forget. And this is something that I've implemented as well. You always make time for who you love and what you love. And he said that to me when I was like, I know you're busy, but, and he said, no, like we'll get lunch. There's always time for you. And so he always made me feel amidst everything in his life, amidst all the people that he had to see and pray for and be with, like I was always a priority and to see that and to see that example and to feel loved and taken care of for him to have enough within himself to put it down his stuff to the side so he can help me in my stuff. That's been so instrumental to me. There's been so many times where like, we'll be, I think we were at a Rubio's one time and I was just sobbing. Like I was <laughs> sobbing over my quesadilla and he was just sitting with me in that space. I don't even know what was going on in his world, but he didn't need me to know what was going on in his life. He just wanted to make sure that I was good because he's also been with me since I was a kid. So he knew how important it was for me to be seen as Sydney and not as an athlete or anything else because we need that, that safe space. And he's been that for me as a person, as a kid, as an adult. So he's shout out, like I said, Pastor Matt, what a guy, yeah. what a guy. A younger athlete that might not have a mentor just yet. What qualities do you look for and do you suggest that they look into when, you know, carefully selecting these people? Well, ultimately, you can trust them and they're safe. And what that means, it can mean different things, but what it's meant to me is um, there is a pro there's an approach and a genuine caring for who I am as a person, not just as an athlete. Um, meeting me where I'm at and understanding like, okay, we have, there is a total person here that needs assistance and uh, a safe ear to listen to them. Someone who's not judgmental, someone who will not just share all of your stuff. When you find the right mentor, there's qualities where you can just feel like you can breathe. You can breathe easily and you know that you're in a safe place to be seen, to be honest. Um, can I cry in front of this person? If I'm led to a point in the conversation where I'm like, I just bust into tears, will I feel loved and protected and um, safe enough to be honest in my emotions? And I think from a professional standpoint, Elena was amazing because her her credibility was already there. She's walked it. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean they become a mentor because their their resume is built, but I think just seeing her example, how she, I was able to see it firsthand and that helped me build trust without even talking to her every day. Cause I saw how she sh was showing up every day, how she treated people, how she would smile and be joyful and just be grateful. Like she exuded this gratitude of I've been doing this for 10 plus years, but I still love this and I still want to be a good teammate. Um, and so I think I just gravitated towards qualities of selflessness and um, people who were able to, they didn't have to, but they do. That speaks a lot because life is busy and you can tell when people are actually taking the time to sit with you and your stuff and to build trust in that. That spoke a lot to me. Like you could do so many other things and you're choosing to sit here and look at me and sit with me in this. That means something. Yep, there's a lot more when people walk the walk and they don't just talk it. And obviously you can still walk the walk the wrong way. 
I think it goes back to that question too of like, what, who do I want around me? And what do I, who do I want to be to other people? Because we prioritize things differently, what we value, how we want to live our lives, um, who we're becoming, like that shows up in different ways. And so I think Elena, Pastor Matt, my grandma, my mom, um, a lot of teammates that I've had, they've brought certain qualities out of me of like, wow, I want to live like that. Like I'm watching someone live in a way that I want to incorporate in my life. And they don't have to say much. But when they say something, you're like, I gotta think. I want to think about that, and honor that. Mm-hmm. And you know, at the end of the day, ten years after retirement or twenty years down the road, how do you want your teammates to remember you as a teammate? Whether it's you know hoop teammates, family, friends, whatever. How mm-hmm. how, how do you want to be remembered for how you went about your business and cared for other people and loved other people and trusted other people? and created a safe space for other people and created balance in your own life and balance with other people. Yeah. Like those are the main words that I'm getting out of this is balance, trust, love, um, safety. Yeah. Those are, those are the main words that I'm getting out of this so far. And, you know, 10, 20 years down the road, I have a feeling that your teammates will think of those four words as well. I'm grateful because I've learned it from, I've experienced it at the hands of other people who created that for me. And I think another component that comes to mind too is like honesty. I can tell there's been times with Elena where she's, she has expressed me. Cause one of the things that I've learned too, and she's taught me are boundaries. Cause I've always been, I feel like I've social media and with people, like I've been accessible. And at first I love that. Cause I'm like, Oh, like people can have access to me and I want them to be able to. And then that drained so much out of me that she helped me see and ask questions like, how are your boundaries? What are you doing with this? And I could see her implementing and honoring herself with her own boundaries. So it wasn't just her trying to tell me like, cut people out of your life, but it was more so protect yourself and understand like wherever you're going and whatever, who you want in your life, you choose that and you can be specific in that. And so she, her honesty and her directness of, are you taking care of yourself? I think so. <laughs> am I not? And so it wouldn't make me, it, again, it would make me look in the mirror of, am I taking care of myself? What are my relationships? Like, what do I, what do I need? Like just that simple question of what do I need in this season of life or in general? And seeing, having her ask me those questions, those soul probing questions, and then seeing how she also walked and lived those out. I was like, okay, she's doing that and I can see how peaceful and how much energy energy she has and what she's pouring into her path. And it's because of these things that she's asking me about for me because she cares. Cause she understands if you don't create those boundaries, there's nothing left for yourself or the people you care about. Yep. Yeah. Is there anything that you saw specifically from her that you were like, okay, that makes the most sense to me? You know, you mentioned the social media thing and mm-hmm. setting your boundaries there, but is there something that, you know, either she said or you saw that you were like, I'm doing that now? When the world stopped because of COVID, I was on the phone with her. It was a check-in call, and she was asking, I was like, I just don't, I don't have time because I've been on the phone so much, and 
people are calling me and they're asking for this and they're asking for that. And she's like, well, why are you picking up every call? Like, why are you, of course you're tired. Why are you, why are you giving so much of yourself to all these people? And that was the first time that I started to hear, like really hear about boundaries because I was exhausted. Like I was back in the States and people had access to me. I allowed them to have access to me 24 seven. If someone called at 1030 at night and they needed to talk for three hours, we'll do it. We'll do it. And there was a, like a month and a half where I was on like, I was on the phone every day with so many people and I'm grateful that they trust me and that they, they wanted to talk to me and that I could listen and be there for them in the same time zone. But that was when I was like, this won't last. I, I only have so much to give and not feeling bad of, it's not me. It's not me not being there for people. It's balancing how I need to be there for myself. And so when she put the mirror in my face of, well, you're giving them that access. It's like, am, am I? <laughs> I, I am. God dang it, Elena. <laughs> I hate it when you're right. Mom. Yeah. So right away I was like, I got to make some, I got to take some time. And I think that's when I started to redefine selfish. Um, and well, just, she used air quotes there, air quotes, selfish of like me taking time to myself and also saying no and not picking up calls all the time. And I think stepping into hard quote, air quotes, hard conversations of this is what I can't be there for you right now because I need to do this for me and not feeling bad about that. And not ghosting people, not just disappearing. Sometimes I have, and I've, I've felt bad about that as I've discovered, like, I don't even have the words right now to address the situation, but, like, I will come back to this person when I can and just take putting out the fires of my own life. Um, but she really helped me start to see, like, I am limited in my energy and attention, and I need to honor myself more so I can show up for people in a better way. I think the quote that like the umbrella quote that comes to mind for boundaries and like approaching myself as a limited person, um, you have to say a lot of no's to say the right yes. And you can't say yes to everything because what will that lead to? Um, and so being okay, praying through discerning and honoring what I might have to say no to all these things so I can say yes to the right thing. That is where I'm supposed to be, who I'm supposed to be around, the opportunity and the path for me. But to get there, you have to be okay and trust the no's. And at first it was definitely like, am I doing this right? Am I letting this person down? Am I letting myself down? And all these different questions, because I'm new to boundaries, it feels wrong regardless of how you try and implement them. You just naturally feel selfish or like you're letting others down. Uh, but I've learned through having really, really high quality relationships in my life that when I do be honest with those people, how they honor me reminds me that's the type of people I want in my corner who give me that space to mess up, trial and error, but also encourage me, whatever you need, take the time. I'm here, but take your time. And that's been really helpful to have the right people 
who respect me as I'm learning as I go. That's helped a lot. It's, it's like the Steve Jobs quote. It's not, it's not the yeses that got Apple or him to where it was. It was all the no's. Because the no's allowed them to focus on what really mattered, right? So it's the same exact thing that you said, just phrased a different way. Yep. Yeah. In your career, when did you feel the most self-doubt? And what practices help you overcome that? My second year as a professional was probably the hardest of my playing days, Um, I've been very fortunate that up until I transitioned to the pros, I was one of those main players on every team that I played with. So I had the ball in my hands as a point guard. I had the ball in my hands a lot so I could dictate my success and others. Um, And I had that trust with all my coaches. They gave me a lot of freedom to make mistakes, to make plays. And I wouldn't have had the opportunity to become a pro without that belief and having the ball in my hands. When I became a pro, I was shifted to the point from point guard to a shooting guard. And so my coach at the time, um, he put me in a different position, which like you would think it's not that big of a deal. But when you play your whole life at one spot, it's completely it's completely different. Like even just from a physical standpoint of learning, how do I create space without having the ball in my hands? What's the timing here? Having a point guard's mind helped me adjust, but like getting those actual reps of like, what do I do without the ball? And what am I doing? So the first year was a blur because you're just grateful to be there. Um, we, We went to the finals and lost in game five, but we were there. I experienced it. I was just grateful. Second year, it was like, do I belong in this realm of professional sports? Um, and so I, I landed in a spot, like I said, really established players already. Um, the general manager believed in me, but my coach did not mess with me. And I was one of those that was chosen of like, I could do the same thing as Elena Beard, but it'd be wrong. And he'd let me know in front of the team. And there'd be times where he would call me out of like, why are you here? Basically, you could quit. You could quit, honestly. Do you want to quit? So there, there, it was a lot of like mental, mental games where I was really, I was really struggling. Of like, I was already struggling without that. Of like, am I good enough to play at this level? I'm trying to figure out a new spot on the court, new team, new environment. I went from a college town of Corvallis <laughs> to Los Angeles. Um, so many different components that came with it that I was like. I don't know if I'm cut out for this. I don't even know if I want to do it. And plus, like, I'm sort of a grown-up, but not really a grown-up. But why is this grown man talking to me like I'm a child? Mm-hmm. And But still feeling like I have, this is all, if this is what the pros are, then I have to take it. Like, if this is how pros are treated, what can I say? Like, I, I can't say anything back and defend myself. He's my boss. Mm-hmm. So it was it was weird, like, and Elena was really, my teammates honestly were really great in that of like, they saw me and they let me know, like, you're doing everything right. We see what's happening. Um, but I think it was, it was a shock to me because up until that point, I had coaches who believed in me and pushed me. Like they challenged me, but they believed in me. And that was the first time I experienced in my career. I could get there early. I could stay late. I could do everything right in practice, make every shot, 
make little mistakes on defense and still not be rewarded or seen or even valued. And it was really hard to work through that. And it made me feel like maybe I'm not good enough for this then. I don't know what I'm looking to say here, but it's, it's, uh, yeah, I yeah. just drew a blank because I'm just, I'm mind blown, right? It, it shifted into, again, like I had a great support system at the time, like that would encourage me. Um, an old, a college teammate randomly texted me again. She's also like, uh, we're connected on a soul level where she'll randomly text me and Kurt, like without knowing I need it. And she said something like, this is what you do. That's all I needed. Like you are, you can do this because you're, you're here on purpose. And those simple reminders took the power away from his doubt in me. Um, and it was hard because you face it every day. Like, it's not fun having a coach that you're like, I'm already trying to just, I'm on your team. <laughs> like, right. I am here on your team wanting to win with you, compete with you. And you are doing the most to break me down. For what purpose? What purpose at, at this point as a professional? And I'm grateful for it because, again, it just instilled in me a deeper level of belief in myself, regardless of who he's not a person of value to me. Mm. So why would I put value in his words? Whether like, even though he's my coach. And so building that foundation, continuing to lay that foundation of like, I know who I am. I know what I bring to the table. I know that I'm like in between. I'm not quite there yet as a professional college is no longer there. Like I'm becoming somebody new as a person and as an athlete. So it's a very vulnerable place to be. But again, whose voices am I listening to and giving power to? Not yours, sir. What was like the main things that you had to do yourself to get out of that? I think I had had so many challenges up until that point, um, whether it was those hard practices when I was in club and high school to different challenges as a basketball player in college where like, college was the first time I actually had to care about efficiency and making good decisions and if I didn't I would be, be subbed out like even though my college coach believed in me he was like you're not gonna be dumb you're not gonna make dumb decisions like you're better than that um and so working through those mental things of like just like growing pains as a basketball player um getting to that point and then I think every time I was challenged in high school and in college, I came with the approach of, I'll show you. And it did not change with this guy. Like, if it was not going to be when he was my coach, like, you're going to see. And, like, <laughs> I don't know what that's going to look like, but I'm still going to stay true to what works for me and continue to adjust, like, as you figure out how to be a pro. Um, but you're going to see one way or another, like, your words – do not define me, but they motivated me to prove you wrong and to find and to surround myself with voices that do value me as a person. Like it, it felt personal sometimes. That's what's wild. Like when you get attack, attacked, quote unquote, air quotes by a coach is like, are we not on the same team? Like there's ways that you can motivate and, and light a fire within somebody, but to make it feel like a personal thing when you're like, I'm with you in this. That's wild to me. So definitely 
shifting of, okay, I'll show you then. It's nothing new to me. I'll just show you. Well, it's interesting the difference in coaches, right? You're talking about a college coach saying, I'm not going to let you stay on the floor and make poor decisions, right? Where you heard that completely differently because of the relationship of it, the trust yeah. of it, right? Yeah. The word trust again. Yeah. And my college coach, like we had, college is so interesting compared to the pros. Like I think the pros also shocked me too because it was like you really could go without having a relationship with some of your teammates. Like you just show up to work every day. You're in the line, so you turn it on, and then you might not talk to them outside the lines. You might not. I barely talked to my head coach that season. Like, there'd be some days, I, like, we wouldn't even say hi to each other. Weird. I would approach it differently now. But, like, my college coach and even my high school coach, my club coach, like, there was a baseline and, and a root of love. And I knew that. And so when things were said to me, um, or if there was a challenge, okay, I'll, I'll – it's rooted in belief. And I know that you're coming from a place of, I want you to get there. I'm on your side. It sucks to hear. Sometimes it's really hard to be coached, but like, this is for you. This is for us. Mm-hmm. With him, it was like, I sometimes wouldn't even get the chance to be out there and like build that trust with him as a player coach. And then the, the there was no relationship. There was no type of connection with him. And so that was I learned a lot through that of like, okay, if I don't have a connection with a leader, like who's in charge of me, what can I pour into as a teammate? Who can I, how, how can I piss him off by still being joyful and, st- yeah. <laughs> and still yeah. enjoy, like we're competing and we're winning, like we're winning in practices and we're celebrating and we're, we're like still kids playing basketball regardless of what you're saying mm-hmm. and what you're not saying and, and showing favor to certain people within the same team. Um, I'm still going to show up and have a good time. Even though I might be like nervous and anxious inside, I'm just going to pour that. I'm going to pour it out with like over celebrating others and giving encouragement to others. And just like, and I think that really ignited also like embracing my role on the team. Like I wasn't a superstar anymore. I wasn't the main person, but I'm going to come up with some good ass cheers at the end of the bench <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to celebrate the and ones and we're going to be hype. And it's not about me. It's always going to be about the team. And that helped me in turn because it took the focus off of me. It reminded me like, this is a group. This is a team. This is a sisterhood. And I want to celebrate these women and be within this realm positively. I'm not going to get so caught up in like, yeah, this is hard. This is the reality. But I want to enjoy this as much as I can still and come up with really, really good cheers at the end of the bench. That's fucking cool. <laughs> we had so much fun. We had the best handshakes. What was your favorite cheer? I I think there was one, like the and ones, I would stand up and flex, and then I would get up everybody chest bumps. Even if they didn't see me, I'd still put my chest into their shoulders. <laughs> They'd feel me. I feel you. You read a book, you listen to a podcast, you watch a movie, something self-help, whatever it is, and it's like, oh, yeah, these are all great ideas, but it's going to take me six months to see any benefit from this plan, right? Mm-hmm. And there's that book called Make Your Bed. Have you read that book? No, but I also don't like making my bed. Well, neither did I. <laughs> right? But he made a point in the book of 
if you just make your bed every day, it's a it's a victory to start the day. It it's not hard. It doesn't take long. It's easy to check off. What's something a younger athlete could a simple, simple, easy victory, not easy victory, but a victory of the day that they can do every day moving forward. I think um, write a couple things down that you're grateful for, whether it's at the end or the beginning, just being intentional and taking the time. It's impossible to be, to feel anything but gratitude when you're focusing on that and it shifts your perspective and it's quick. I mean, you don't have to go in depth. I think it's even the simple thing of like, I had a good ass breakfast this morning. Like I, I had a moment with my mom in the car where we were singing a song and it was amazing. Mm. Um, I did, I did great in practice today if you want to keep it around the sport. So I think taking the time either in the morning to like remind yourself of your intentions of the day or just being grateful. What are you grateful for to start out this day? What were you grateful for today? Do you, do you write it down or do you like write it on your phone? Do you, you know, we talked about journaling previously. Um, do you write it in a consistent journal? How do you specifically do it? I start my day in prayer and giving thanks. So I'll say it out loud. Mm -hmm. Um, So normally, before I get into different things that I feel compelled to speak over or that might be weighing on my heart, I'll just give thanks and say it out loud of thank you for another day. Thank you for a chance to work. Thank you for especially coming out of an injury. Um, I think there's a different gratitude of moving my body and being pushed and challenged. And so speaking life over those things and starting setting the tone and saying out loud, like, I'm so grateful for today. And even if it was a struggle to wake up (laughs) or if it's going to be a hard workout or there's things that are weighing on my heart, just being able to speak and hear myself say, I'm so grateful for this. Thank you. And that's, that's usually how I try to start off my days. Even if it's just like, thank you for today. We'll see how it goes. (laughs) Because <laughs> there are some <laughs> days like that. We'll see how today That's goes. That's real. That is a real day right there. I think it also puts me in a heart posture of reflection of look at how what has been coming together and how I got here and not forgetting that journey of like I woke up this morning when two months ago I was really struggling through this and the days were dark and it was heavy and it still might be a little heavy, but like we're still here. And it's the sun is up, guaranteed in Phoenix. The mm-hmm. sun is up. Thank you. But what a gift. What a gift. Mm-hmm. And it, it gets my heart back into that posture of like, all of this is a gift. And it's going to be hard. And just to recap your words here, the best way to get through it or ways to get through it is you have to have balance, right? You have to set boundaries for that balance. You have to work to have a trusted resource list and surround yourself with the right people. And those right people, you know, the class, I love saying, the root of all things good is love. So you surround yourself with those trusted people that you love. And at the end of the day, you're a good teammate. That's been displayed in your stories here. You So you trust your teammates. And I think the best thing that athletes 
high school, college athletes, one of the best things they can do is have unwavering trust in the work that they've put into it, that they've done what they need to do, they've surrounded themselves with the right people, they handle their stuff on and off the court, field, pool, whatever it is, and then that's when all the good things come. Then you'll have plenty of stuff to say, write, or type you're grateful for mm -hmm. every morning. Yep. Nailed it. And much respect. Thank you for taking the time. And there's nothing but good things ahead. Thank you, Papa Chip. Any shout-outs to anybody, anything you're working on? Just shout gratitude. Uh, first of all, shout out to my brother and his wife about to become parents. It's a big deal. Hell yeah, Christian. Hell yeah, Christian, Evelyn. Woo! Um, and my so, grandma's name's Evelyn. I love that name. It's beautiful. It is. So I'm excited for them um, to step into that. They're going to be amazing parents. And so I know that they've done everything as much as you can to prepare for that um, without knowing what you're really preparing for. Um, but it's been cool to be home for that process and to celebrate, um, and creating a, a great environment for this baby boy to come into. Um, so shout out to them. And then I would like to shout out one of my really great best friends, Erica McCall. She just retired from basketball and she is now an assistant coach at Stanford, her, um, where she went to school and graduated. And so, She's been coaching there for about a month now, but hearing her stories in her spare time now that she's like a real adult, um, she just ran a post-workout for the first time, like in charge of it the other day, and like she loves it. So hearing her voice when she talks about it and just seeing how she's handled that transition from being a player your whole life to now being a coach, being in charge of those who are coming after you and being a mentor for them. And you're also learned like she, she's never coached before. So she's like being there for people, also trying to be there for herself and figure it out, like sink or swim. And that that baby is swimming. She's <laughs> thriving. And so I'm excited to just watch and listen to her stories from this first year of like how she's approaching it is very humble of I'm just learning as I go and trusting it and letting it come to me. Um, and so really excited for her and just proud of her for listening to her body because I know she she wanted to keep playing but her body was saying no and just amazed that the opportunity when that transition happened like was there for her to just step into being a coach those are my shout outs hell yeah hell yeah what would you tell your 18 year old self that's a great question it was 10 years ago um I would tell my 18-year-old self to <laughs> that she's going to make it. Uh, I think there was a lot, what fueled a lot of my work was, am I good enough? And I didn't see myself as a pro. It was everybody else. Like, even though I said I want to be a pro, my work was rooted in, I don't know if that's going to happen. I don't know if I'm qualified for that. And so it was fear-based. It was inadequacy of... I'm working this hard because I don't feel adequate to be that. And I would tell myself and start to learn, how can I work from a place of belief? Because I'm going to make it. There's that word again. Belief. Um, and so I think 
starting to implement ways and mindsets of I am good enough and I'm going to get there because I, I know my work ethic, I know my skills and there's weaknesses that I think I would have also told myself, like embrace those weaknesses. Don't be afraid of them. Um, work on them, but really, really hone in on your strengths and like focus on those when you're doubting yourself. I think I would, I would be so quick to be like, ah, she does this better than me. I wish I was like this as a player instead of like, no, this is who I am as a player. And yeah, I, that's the beauty of a team because you have teammates who can supplement your weaknesses, but I bring this to the table and it's not coming from a place of arrogance. It's coming from a place of, I believe in myself. And so I think I would tell my 18 year old self, believe in who you are and what you're capable of doing. Cause that shit is special. What would you tell your 22 year old self, AKA post-college post-college? Um, I think I would tell my 22 year old self, um, what I would ask her, what do you need? And start to dive into that process of, um, holistic approach as a, as an athlete, but as a person. So I think that was when I started to really feel like I'm overwhelmed because things that used to motivate me aren't working anymore. Um, how am I able to transition from working harder to working smarter? Um, and so answer, being able to answer that question of what do I need from myself, for myself, from others, um, and still stemming from if I would have told my 18-year-old self to work from a place of belief, then that would be rooted in my needs from others and from myself because there would be a, a foundation of you're good enough, you deserve good things um, and everything that you're doing, even if it's hard and, and difficult and there's twists and turns, you are taken care of and you are here on purpose. Like you're, you're in this realm and in this world, um, professional world with purpose and with intent. So how are you going to make it last because you're honoring what your needs are to stick around and to be okay within the professional setting and as a person. Shout out to you guys as well. Like if I want to shout out more people, like I know Chip, you're, you're already saying no, but like it's going into this rehab process. Like I didn't know I was going to land, um, for like physical therapy training, um, in between jobs and teams and to have landed here. Like you guys have been a huge blessing to my life and just giving me the chance to speak with you guys, but like, not just in this, but like every day for like this last year, um, you guys are included in that group of people who, when I couldn't see it for me, like you spoke it over me and kept me, um, kept reminding me of my worth and that I'm going to get to where I'm going to get to. And it's a gift to have you guys because I mean, even though it's become a longer process than I anticipated, like I've never felt like I've been in the way. I've never felt like, gosh, I got to hurry and you guys have other things to do and people to see. Like I've always felt important and seen. And so I'm grateful that I was led to you guys at the right time because I've needed your energy and presence every day. And you guys are like family. And so I'm grateful for that. And it's, it's for everything now. You guys are stuck with me. You're welcome.
you dirty dogs. There's another episode down and another amazing guest. If you could do us a huge favor, please follow, like, subscribe, download, send, share, uh, essentially tap a bunch of stuff on the screen to help us get these stories out. Uh, you never know who this might inspire. There are so many ways to make it to the professional setting. No paths are perfect, and we just want to display that as best we can. It's love, always. Peace.